This last Wednesday night, I started a Bible class on the book of Philippians. And with the ending of the quarter, I'll start teaching the Sunday morning class once again. And in the Sunday morning class, uh, we're going to be also studying the book of Philippians. I used to try to teach two different things, but I thought, well, if we're, you know, I'm doing the teaching. Why don't we just stick with the same book and we can get as much out, out of it? And perhaps maybe that might encourage some people who come on Wednesday night to come on Sunday morning or those who come on Sunday morning for Bible class come on Wednesday night. But my point is, uh, we're now studying the book of Philippians. And I love the book of Philippians because it's a very unique book in the New Testament. It, of course, was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, but it's unique in the fact that it is a book that covers really no doctrinal matters whatsoever. Nowhere in the book does the Apostle Paul uh, uh, criticize someone because they are involved in some type of thing they shouldn't be involved in. Uh, there's no corrections that are being made because somebody has a misunderstanding of what the Bible teaches. But really, the book of Philippians is just a book of encouragement, a book of joy. In fact, it's the theme of the entire book, and you get into it basically, and it's, you'll see it in the book, it's rejoice, and again I say rejoice. And of course, being a preacher, as I'm looking through a book like Philippians, I can't help, as I'm studying for my Bible classes, uh, also see some sermons in there that I think that would be beneficial for each and every one of us. And so this morning I want to... Um, spend some time looking at some verses in the book of Philippians that lend themselves to something I think that all of us need uh, as we live the Christian life. And I've entitled today's lesson simply this, How to Be Happy in Chains. The text that we're going to be looking at today is Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3 and going down through verse 11. Obviously, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in detail on these verses. I'm just going to hit some highlights. If you want to get the details in it, come to um, Bible class. And if you don't think we spend some time with some details, last Wednesday night, we only got through verse 1 of Philippians chapter 1. So that shows you we spend some time in the text. But today, we're just going to hit some highlights, and we're going to talk about how to be happy in chains. The Apostle uh, Paul, when he wrote this particular book to the church at Philippi, was a prisoner in Rome. And we know from what the book of Acts tells us that while he was a prisoner at Rome, every single day of his life while he was waiting for his trial before Caesar, he was chained to a Roman soldier. Every single day, every single hour, every single se second, 24 hours a day, his entire time there at Rome, he had someone chained to him. That means while he was sleeping or while he was eating, even while he was writing this particular book to the church at Philippi, he was chained to a prisoner, or chained to a soldier as a prisoner. He was always in chains the entire time he was there. There was not a moment he wasn't in chains. Now imagine what that would be like. You know, sometimes even the people we love, we might need to take a little break from them and get away from them and have a little time for ourselves just because sometimes we want a little time for ourselves. But imagine what it would be like to have a Roman soldier, somebody you really didn't even know, probably somebody that maybe 
wasn't that nice of a person. Maybe somebody that um, uh, you had no connection whatsoever with, except for the fact there was a connection made between this shackle and his shackle and the short piece of cha- uh, chain that lied between you. Imagine what that would be like every single hour of the day, every second of the day, having someone change you and how it limited your mobility, how it limited your privacy, how it limited your life in so many ways. But then I want you to think about the Apostle Paul who wrote this particular epistle that we're going to be looking at. As he's chained to that guard, all he can talk about in this book is how much joy he has in his life and how he wants everybody else to experience the same joy. All through the book, he keeps talking about joy and how that we as Christians should rejoice. That was Paul's attitude when he was in chains. Now I realize that very few of us will ever have to spend any time in a prison. And I also realize that very few of us will ever have to have some physical chains applied to ourselves and be shackled to somebody else uh, just days and hours on end. But in a sense, we do have to deal with chains in our lives. Some things that bear us down, some things that, that keep us from being the people that we need to be, things that ruin our mobility, if you will that hold us back and keep, keep us from being what we need to be. Perhaps there's the chains of bad health. When a person's health is not what it's supposed to be, that can be something that can chain us down, that can and cause us to, to feel like that we're limited in what we can do. Uh, there's the chain of bad relationships. Uh, there's the chain of having some pain in our body that we have to deal with on a daily basis. There's the chain of losing someone we love. Today's society, there's the chain of financial hardship. Glenn mentioned in our class today how that we have a hard time telling ourselves no, so we burden ourselves with all kinds of debt sometimes, and that becomes a chain that holds us back from doing the things we want to do. And so, although we may never face any kind of prison time, and even if we were in prison, I doubt we'd ever be chained to a soldier the whole time that we are in there. Yet in life, there are some things that could cause us to be unhappy. But once again, the Apostle Paul says, even if you are chained, whether it be in a a metaphysical way or whether it be in a physical way, Paul says you need to have joy in your life. You need to be happy. Paul, how in the world am I supposed to do that? Paul explains here in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, how to be happy even when you're in chains. Here's a man who knows from experience. And look what he does. So let's open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. And you'll get far more out of this lesson if you open the text and look at it. Because we're going to be looking directly at the words that are here, and you'll miss something if you just listen to me talk. But look at the words that we have listed here. And first of all, I want you to notice in verses 3 through 5, the first thing that the Apostle Paul reminds us about how to be happy and change is simply this. Look at the past with thanksgiving. Notice what he says here in this letter. 
He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now I want you to notice what he says here in the text. He first of all says in verse 3 that he thanks God for literally every memory that he has of them. He's writing to the church at Philippi. He's talking about in his mind, he's rehashing everything that happened in that city. Every contact he had in that city and the church there at that city. And he's looking back over it. He's replaying that memory bank. And he says, I thank God for every memory I have of you. And not only that, it brings me great joy when I think about it. In fact, the text says, when I pray to God, I petition Him because you bring me so much joy. Now think about that for a moment. Really, Paul? Every single memory you have of being in the city of Philippi brings you joy? That makes you happy? You like remembering all those memories? Now, we know, Paul, that not everything that happened in the city of Philippi was pleasant. In fact, we can go back to Acts chapter 16, and we can discover that when you were in the city of Philippi, they beat you. They beat you with many stripes. They put your feet in stocks. They put you in prison. And eventually, they drove you out of town. How in the world can you say your every memory of that place is a good memory? Well, I believe it's because as he looked back at the events that took place in the city of Philippi, he could always see the good even with the bad. You see, as he looked out at the past, he looked at it with thanksgiving because he wasn't going to dwell on the bad things that happened to him in the past. He was going to look at the good things that happened to him. Yes, he was put in prison. Yes, he was beaten. But guess what? Because he was in the right place at the right time, and even though it caused him hardship, there was a man who worked in that prison, a jailer, a Philippian jailer, that became a Christian, all because of the situation that Paul found himself in. And you remember the story in Acts chapter 16, how that at midnight, while Paul and Silas were singing praises to, the God, to God, there was a great earthquake, and the jailer there was about to commit suicide. And Paul told him, don't do yourself any harm, we're all here. And then the Philippian jailer asked the most important words that a person can ever ask in their entire life. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And of course, Paul told him to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and then proceeded to teach him about Jesus Christ. And then the text tells us that at the same hour of the night, this Philippian jailer was baptized. Oh yeah, Paul was beaten. Yes, his feet were put in stocks. Yes, he was held in a prison. But you know what? There's a man going to heaven now. And the way Paul looked at it, that was a very, very pleasant memory. You see, he decided to look at the good instead of the bad. And yes, he was driven out of town, but guess what? When he left Philippi, where did he go? He went to other places to preach the gospel. 
So he just looked at it as another opportunity to meet more people, to share with them the good name of Jesus Christ, and therefore being able to see more people spend eternity in heaven. But then you get to verse 5, and, and he's talking about the church at Philippi specifically here, and he, he knows, as we know, that every church is not perfect. Uh, there were people in Philippi, I'm sure, because they were people like you and I that didn't have everything right, that didn't uh, always do what they were supposed to do, were not always the kind of church members they needed to be. But instead of picking out in this particular areas they needed to be corrected, and I'm sure there were some corrections that needed to be done, he pointed out something that was very special about this church. Verse 5 says, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, when we hear the word fellowship, we automatically think of a, a fellowship meal. And I think that um, you've heard me tell this story before, but uh, there was a Christian school one time, or a religious school, that invited all kinds of different people, uh, different faiths to participate in this private school. And they thought that was a good way to learn, so they brought in people from all kinds of different uh, denominations and faiths, and one of the teachers decided to have a um, show-and-tell day so every ch- child could express their, their religion. And so one day during the show-and-tell day, a little girl got up, and, and she says, um, uh, I'm a Jewish girl, and this is a star of David, and that represents my faith. And the teacher said, that is good. And another uh, boy got up, and he says, I'm, I have a crucifix that I wear around my neck. I'm a Catholic. That represents my faith. And uh, another boy got up, and he stood before the class, and he says, I'm a member of the Church of Christ. Here is a casserole dish. We love our eating and meeting parties. We love our fellowships. And um, that's what we normally call it, but there's far more going on here when Paul says something about for your fellowship in the gospel. Literally, it's the idea of sharing, but beyond sharing, it's talking about being partakers of, our partners of. <coughs> so what he's saying here is, I appreciate your participation in the gospel from the first day into now. In other words, when he thought about the church at Philippi, he was thinking about the past, and the thing that he had stored up in his memory bank was how that they had participated with him in the gospel. Now, how did they participate with him in the gospel? They certainly didn't travel with him. They didn't preach with him. They didn't baptize with him. So how did they participate? Well, he gives us a glimpse of this. If you open your Bibles up to Philippians chapter 4, just hold your place there at chapter 1. And notice what he says about what this church did for him. Beginning in verse 10 of of Philippians chapter 4, he says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity." Now that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am where we're to be content, I know how to be both the base and I know how to abound everywhere in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to be abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. 
Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Now the Apostle Paul at the beginning there in verse 10, and he ends with this thought in verses 15 and 16 of chapter 4, is that even though I have learned to be content with whatever I have in life, you were somebody who took care of me. In fact, verse 10 talks about the fact that they didn't even have it, but they still decided to take care of them. In other words, when Paul was on his missionary journeys, the church at Philippi, even though they were not a very rich church, sent to his necessity or to his needs time and time again. This began at the very beginning when he left Philippi to go continue to preach the gospel and is continuing now there in, the, uh, there in uh, Rome where he's a prisoner because of the fact that as you read through this book, you discover that they sent some more money to him while he was in Rome and sent him a special man to help him by the name of Epaphroditus. Now, we'll talk more about Epaphroditus when we get into our Bible class, but my point in this is, as he looked at the church at Philippi, all he could think about was the fact that even though, yeah, they may have problems, but right now he's concentrating on the good that they've done. And they were a very charitable, a very loving, a very caring gospel. Uh, from the, from, it says in the text, from the first day until now, when you think about how the church started in the household of Lydia, and Lydia put up Paul and his helpers in her house, and now at this point in time they've sent Epaphroditus to them. They are somebody who fully uh, were partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is talking to them when he says participation here in verse 5 is that when he preached, they were preaching. When he told others the gospel, they were teaching others the gospel. When he had conversations with people in foreign lands, they were having conversations with people in foreign lands. When he baptized somebody in the watery grave of baptism, they were baptizing someone in the watery grave of baptism. Even though they weren't there physically, they were partners because of the support that the Apostle Paul had in them. So the lesson, I think, as we need to move on, as we look at how to be happy in chains, Paul was happy in chains because... He made a choice. He chose to look at the good things. Now, he could have looked at the bad things and the bad situation that he had, the problems he had at Philippi, the problems he may have at the church there, but instead he wanted to see the always the bright side of things. He is saying in this text that it's a choice. You can either look at the past and have all kinds of misgivings and heartaches, or you can look at the past with thanksgiving. It's all a choice. There's a little poem that was written many years ago by um, a lady by the name of Ella Wilcox Wheeler. And uh, the name of the poem is, Tis the Set of the Sail. I think I'm losing my mic here, so I'm going to come back over here. It's, it's called, Tis the Set of the Sail. And it's a little short poem, but just simply goes... Uh, one ship travels east, and one tr ship travels west. And now my mind's going blank after I was going to say it to you. Um, where, whichever way the wind blows. But it is the set of the sail, not the gale, that determines which direction it goes. 
Now, her point in that is that you have two ships, one's heading in one direction and one's heading in another direction. What determines that? It's not the wind that blows. It's not what they're facing. It's the idea of, of the choice they make when they set the sail. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying here when he says that it's a choice that needs to be made. If you want to be happy and changed, then you need to look at the past with thanksgiving. It's a choice. But I need to move along. And you notice next in the text, if you look at verses uh, 6 through 8, if you want to be happy and changed, you've got to look at the present with confidence. Notice what the Apostle Paul says. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think of this of you all, because I have you in my heart, insomuch as both in my bonds and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ." I want you to notice that Paul talks about confidence here. He says, be ye confident this very thing. Now, he wasn't talking about self-confidence here, but instead he was talking about God-confidence here. Notice what the text says in verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he, talking about God, not talking about Paul, that he, God, which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, folks, make sure we understand the impact of what that verse is saying. God is the one that is going to save you. God is the one that provided a plan for you to be saved. He is going to stick with you and continue to work with you all the way to the end. There's a time span being talked about here. Verse 5. From the first day until now, and then he goes on and says in verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it all the way until the Lord comes back, the day of Jesus Christ. He's saying as you deal with the present and you deal with your present change, you need to understand that there is someone with you. God, He's working in you. He's working with you. He is always with you. And so the next couple of verses, which we won't read again, <coughs> excuse me, He's talking about how that we need to persevere. We need to keep doing what we've been doing and understand that God is going to be with us. In fact, we should never face the future or understand that we should never ever face the future uh, without understanding that God is with us that God is always going to be working in us. He wants to see us succeed. He wants us to go to heaven. From the first time we were baptized in that watery grave of baptism until we open our eyes on the day of judgment and receive the crown of righteousness, we need to understand that God is by our side, that God is with us. There's an old custom in the British Navy. They don't do it anymore, but many years ago they had a custom that as they were lining up on the dock before they boarded these tall sailing ships, that the entire crew would line up on the deck and the captain would parade down in front of them and inspect them. And he would ask uh, the first mate, after the roll had been taken, he would say, first mate, are we all here? And the first mate would respond, yes, sir, we are all here and in God's care. 
And the captain would say, is there anything to fear then? And the entire crew would say, no, sir, nothing to fear. And we need to understand as we live in the presence, we need to live in the presence with confidence, confidence, not because of who we are, but because of the God that works within us. But then, as we finish up the lesson, I want you to look at the next section of Scripture, beginning at verse 9 and going down through verse 11. We see that we need to look at the future with prayer. The thing about the future is the fact that the future never gets here. Tomorrow really never comes. But what we do is we plan for the future so that when we live in the present as it appears, uh, we're ready for what happens. And the Apostle Paul tells us in this particular text that it's all about praying for certain things. If you want to be ready for the future, this is what he says. Beginning at verse 9, he says, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge, and in judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to notice what he says in the text about preparing for the future. We should be praying for some things, he says, in the future that will help us in the future. And he gives us some good advice here. As we pray, one of the things that we need to pray for is more love. In fact, he says that love needs to abound and abound and abound. He's out saying you need more and more and more love. How would that help us in the future? Well, the more we love God, the more we love each other, the more we love Jesus Christ, regardless of what happens to us in the future, our faith is going to be solid as a rock. In fact, he goes on, he says another thing that we should pray for is knowledge. The kind of knowledge that's being described here, if you look at the Greek here, it's the idea of more scriptural knowledge. And how would that help us in the future? Well, we know that Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 tells us that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The more time you spend in this book, the greater your knowledge will be. And as you face the future, your faith will continue to be solid as a rock because it's based upon the principles of this Word. And then he goes on and it says in the King James, in all judgment, literally that's all discernment, discerning those things that are important, discerning those things which not are, are important. Can you see beyond that which is here and now and realize there's something better for, for you waiting beyond this veil? It's the idea that you understand as you pray that God will give you discernment to understand that this world is not our home. We're just simply passing through. And so regardless of what the future may hold, and then he goes on and talks about how that we should live lives that are excellent, lives that are sincere, lives that are without offense until the day Christ comes back, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, in other words, being involved in the service that God gives you through His Son, Jesus Christ, giving glory to God and praise to God. And to me, that looks like a pretty good prescription for someone that wanted to be prepared for the future, whatever the future may be. Paul is telling us, if you want to be happy and change, you need to be praying that you have more love. 
You need to be praying that you have more knowledge. You need to be praying that you have more discernment. You need to be praying that you need to be involved in those things that are excellent. And that will prepare you for the future. There's an old saying, I don't even know who said it first. It goes simply like this. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And so Paul's advice is, we look at this little section of Scripture about how to be happy in chains. As you read through it, you're impressed about the fact that either you can be looking at the past and you can look at it with misgivings or you can look at it with thanksgiving. You can look at the present and you can either look at it, at it with fear or you can look at it with confidence. You can look at the future and you can be apprehensive about it or you can look at the future and be praying about it. You can either be dwelling on self, or you can be dwelling on God. The Apostle Paul said, no matter what you face in life, whether it's thinking about the past, or whether it's thinking about the present, or thinking about the future, we need to always be happy in chains, because we have so many things to be thankful for, we have a confidence that's because we have a God who is always with us. And we have a future that's based upon things that God has given us to keep us sustained no matter what the future holds. If you have a need this morning, won't you come as together we stand and sing.